are continuing on in a, a series that we had started a few weeks ago, uh, a break last week due to uh, unfortunate weather. Uh, our other elder, David Peace, had uh, led uh, through uh, a review of the uh, promised child. Uh, first Sunday that he uh, spoke, he talked about the child who brings victory. Next, he talked about the child who brings laughter. And today, we will look at the child who builds God's house. It seems to be pretty appropriate for a, for a Christmas Sunday as well uh, for us to, to look at this passage. Uh, also, it seems to fall quite often when we uh, share the duties of, of speaking that I get to talk about the buildings. I'm a structural engineer, and it, it seems to be very much in God's providence to keep me in my wheelhouse when I have a chance to, to present His Word. But even with that, um, we are looking at... Um, 2 Samuel, uh, chapter 7, verses 12 to 13, specifically today, as we, we hear uh, God's word. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Let's pray. Holy Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways that you continue to uh, teach us and walk with us as we study it. Open our hearts and minds now as you speak through me, as we uh, explore the building of your house and the history and the applications as we uh, continue to walk with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He wants to build that house for God. 
But then you might ask, why does God need a house in the first place? What happened if they God did not have that special permanent dwelling place? Well, to answer that question, we're going to take a little bit of a trip back in history, literally to the beginning. Um, on the back of your bulletin, there's an outline, uh, actually just two headings, and here's plenty room to write. Um, the first uh, section is, man wants to build God's house and know his presence. And the second is, the child who builds God's house and is his presence. So with the first section, man wants to build God's house and know his presence. So why was God separated from man? Or better yet, why was man separated from God? God's plan for the world was for man to live with him in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 2 uh, reads from like this. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So God created a helper for Adam and Eve. They lived in the garden with God until that fateful day when the serpent deceived them, as you heard uh, mentioned a few weeks ago. It does repeat, bear repeating as well. Genesis 3, 8-13. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So we see here that sin entered the world that God had created, the place where he was with his creation. With sin, as we know, there are consequences. But in God's mercy and grace, he promised the Savior to address the sin of disobedience in the garden and the sins of his descendants, including us. As part of their punishment, God sent them away. Continuing on in Genesis 3, Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the tree of life. So we see how and why man was separated from God. But God did not abandon or forget his creation, his people. He continued to prepare his plan of redemption, as he called Abraham. From Genesis 12, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So as we know the story, Abraham and Sarah were, were quite old before they had any children. And the conversation kept reflecting on the fact they did not have a child of their own. 
So God, in his wisdom, in chapter 15, shares this with Abraham to encourage him as part of the covenant that he makes with him. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. God chose Abraham to be the father of his people, with descendants too numerous to count easily. So God's plan then continues on as we look at Abraham's descendants, Isaac, Jacob, and then his sons. God used Joseph in Egypt to save his people during the famine. After Joseph died, the Egyptians began to forget what they did, what he did for them, and started oppressing the Israelites. Again, in God's wisdom, he continued to use this situation and unfold his plan in his life and the life of Moses. Moses leaves Egypt and is keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, a priest of Midian, when he's led to Horeb, the mountain of God, in the comments of burning bush. Exodus 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a bush in a, in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burning. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the land of the Egyptians, and then bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have seen the oppressions with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring out my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Moses is in God's presence and is given assurance that he will lead God's people to the mountain of Horeb. God provides for Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. So a lot of other sermons that he needed to. Uh, and that's the time when Passover was instituted. God was with the Israelites during their travel, and we see in Exodus 12 how this, this plays out. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people. God was with his people through all the travels, all the challenges, all the difficulties they faced during their time as they led towards the promised land. Starting in Exodus 25, God gives Moses then the divine pattern 
for the place where he himself, God, would dwell among his people in the tabernacle. The people did all that the Lord commanded and prepared the tabernacle, just as it was explained. The tabernacle was erected according to God's plan, as we hear starting in, in chapter 40 of Exodus, verse 33. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out until the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and the fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. So after Moses' death, Israel continued to have its own challenges of sin as a transition from being led by judges to seeking a king to lead. The prophet Samuel anoints God's choice of Saul as the first king of Israel. This led to David being anointed king after Saul's kingship basically ended as a failure. The books of 1 and 2 Samuel present in this transition from the judges to the kings with its initial successes and failures. This brings us to chapter 7 of 2 Samuel. By this time, David has brought the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of God, to Jerusalem. David was living in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from his enemies. David was living in a house of cedar, but the Ark of the Lord was in a tent. So David wants to build a house for God. And the, Nathan, the prophet Nathan thought that was a good idea at first, until God came to, came to him that night and spoke to him. After that, as we heard read earlier, Nathan had a different response for David after hearing from God. Now, the promises that we heard come in the context of a covenant with David, the greatest king of the old covenant. As would be expected, this covenant is based on the Lord's sovereign grace. First, God chose David without making any reference to his achievements. Rather, David is simply king because God ruled it. Second, David is told that Israel will have peace under his rule, and the rule of his descendants will be likewise made kings over Israel. Finally, David and his sons will enjoy living with God as their father. They will receive his discipline, but God's love and mercy will never depart from the line of David ensuring that there will be always a son of David on the throne of heaven. By declaring to build a house for David, the Lord announces that he will instead, instead himself establish a royal lineage through David that lasts forever. With this backdrop, let's take a, quick, a closer look at our sermon text that I read just a few minutes ago. 2 Samuel 7, 12-13. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your son, your offspring after you, and you shall come, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. You shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Again, in the context of 2 Samuel and the kings that followed David, these verses will refer to his son Solomon, who is in charge of building the temple, as is described in 1 Kings chapters 5 and 6, and you can look to that if you want more detail about that specific work that God called Solomon to do to build the temple. But we're today going to look a little bit more deeper into the, the phrase, the child who builds God's house and is his presence. That's that second section on the back of your bulletin there. 
the way many commentators and the way I even understand this passage to work, God's promise of a righteous son for David points to Jesus, whose birth we celebrate today. He is the king from the line of David. He came to the world to fulfill God's plan of redemption for his people. He came to build God's house. Scripture clearly shows that God is not aloof or distant from his people. On the contrary, he's pleased to dwell with them for those whom he has provided atonement and forgiveness through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When the Mosaic law defined the people of God, he maintained his dwelling place primarily in one place, the tabernacle, and later the temple built by King Solomon in Jerusalem. One of the great benefits, though, that we have in the new covenant in Jesus is that the Lord no longer limits his special presence to one place. He makes himself present wherever people are gathered together to worship him in spirit and truth meet. This means that he dwells in his house, the church. Today we no longer need to take a pilgrimage to any designated cities to meet with God, but may enjoy his presence wherever we gather together with other believers in Jesus' name. This is what Paul was telling us in Ephesians chapter 2, 18 through 22, where he's sharing how we are all one in Christ. For although we have him, for through him we have him, both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In, the whole, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows in a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place with God by the Spirit. Paul also continues in his writings to the, first, to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 3, dealing with some division in the church and yet wanting for our unity. 1 Corinthians 3, 5-17. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Neither he who plants nor he who is watering is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Will each one take care how he builds upon it? For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. The work that anyone has done, built on that foundation, survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple, and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. We are called to be workers for God, to build up the foundation, who is Jesus Christ, who died, that we would have eternal life. God's people make up God's temple. 
His Spirit dwells within us. The Holy Spirit dwells in believers individually, making us a fit place for our Lord to reside. From 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. The Spirit joins us together as one structure in whom the fullness of God's presence is enjoyed. John Calvin wrote, When God dwells in each of us, it is His will that we should embrace all in holy unity, and that thus He should form one temple out of many. Each person, when viewed separately, is a temple, but when joined together, becomes a stone of a temple. Emmanuel is one of Christ's most precious names. It's a combination of two Hebrew words that together mean God with us. The Gospel of Matthew explains that Christ received this name in the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. The Bible uses the name Emmanuel mostly in connection with the incarnation of Jesus. The first time we hear this name is when Isaiah prophesied the virgin birth of Christ, Isaiah 7:14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah spoke these words to Ahaz, king of Judah, who was being threatened by surrounding nations. When you read the context, you will find that sadly Ahaz had no interest in being with God. Despite that, Isaiah told him that a person named God with us would come. In the fullness of time, Christ would become incarnate in order to bring God's presence to us. He would be born of a virgin, thus escaping the corruption of David's line, while remaining David's son. Jesus Christ is the incarnate Savior. That's the beauty of Emmanuel. He didn't come as an angel or some spirit manifesting itself from time to time. He took to himself bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. Nothing else can give such comfort and hope. Because the Son of God took to himself our nature, there are many blessings that represent in his name Emmanuel. He is God with us to reconcile sinners to God. Man is born alienated from God, and God can have no fellowship with him because of sin. But Emmanuel came to save his people from their sins. He gave his life as an offering for sin, so that sinners can be brought back into the fellowship with God. On the cross, he could promise the repentant thief that he would be with him in paradise, that is to say, in fellowship with God. He is God with us to guide, empower, and expand his church. Having ascended to heaven, Christ is now no longer with believers physically here on earth, but as he promised at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Behold, I am with you always. He is God with us to comfort his people. Think of Psalm 46, which so beautifully describes the encouraging presence of God in the midst of our very chaotic circumstances. He is a very present help in trouble from verse 1. Christians need not fear, even when the earth shakes and the kingdoms rage. God's presence with his people is constant. The Lord of hosts is with us. God is near you to help you and to protect you. And he is God with us to bring his people to glory. We read in Revelation of the new heavens and earth where God himself shall be with them. In glory, the presence of God with his people will be perfect and uninterrupted. 
Revelation 22.4 tells us that they shall even see his face. So do you believe this record God has of giving Emmanuel? Do you see how low Jesus had to stoop to be God with us as sinners? Do you experience the blessings of God with us? These can only be ours through a new birth, a change in life from above. His birth calls us to ask, have I been born again? If so, he is your Emmanuel. Isaiah's words, as we hear many times in the Christmas season, also provide much comfort as we read from chapter 9, Isaiah 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has shone light. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, will be burned as fuel for the fire. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah urges God's people to celebrate and with joy. Why should we celebrate with joy? At the center of our joy is the fact that the child, the promised Messiah, has turned our darkness into light. As our king, he will reign again on earth. Today, he builds his father's house as he calls his people to be his church. He reigns in the hearts of his people who have asked to be their, him to be their Lord and Savior. May our hearts be filled with joy as Jesus builds his temple in each of us and joins us together to praise and worship our prophet, our priest, and our king. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you that we celebrate the birth of your Son, our Savior Jesus Christ. However, help us to remember that in birth is just the beginning, and we need to reflect on his, his work in following your plan, his work as our uh, redemption against sin and our king that we follow in the battle as you uh, call him back and your plan calls for it. Help us to, to reflect on your mercy and your grace as you have redeemed us. We thank you for this family time that we'll have today and for those that, uh, that we will not be with. Continue to remember them. Watch over them as well. Reflecting everything that we do, we uh, lift our praise to you and give you all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.